If you would turn to Exodus chapter 20. And look with me in verse 7. The third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Father, your word is life to us. Your word is truth to us. Your word is revelation to us. Always about who you are. Always about who we are and what your desire is for us. And this morning as we once again study your words, we ask that you would help each of us to hear you speak, to be drawn close to you, that we might live lives that glorify you. Lord, use your word to transform us more into the image of your Son every day. Lord, help us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since February, we have studied our way through the book of Exodus, Israel's story of deliverance from Egypt and their cruel enslavement under the hand of Pharaoh. And we've had an opportunity to now more closely know God, which was the whole purpose of Exodus is God making himself known to this people of Israel through this amazing story of deliverance and salvation and this new, this covenant relationship that God is firmly establishing with his people. God has made himself known not only to to his chosen people, Israel, in this story, this book of Exodus, but he's also made himself known to us through this story. He has drawn us closer to himself, and it is because he has chosen us in Christ. And because he's chosen us in Christ, he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear and to understand this remarkable story. And this this story, in many ways, parallels our own Exodus story as, as believers who are making our way through this life, this world, this culture, and we are moving towards a promised land called, called heaven. And we face, we face many of the same trials and perplexities and questions that, that Israel faced during the Exodus. Will, will God provide for us? Will God protect us? Will we make it to the end? Those are, those are questions that we have in our own lives. And Moses writes Exodus to remind them and to assure Israel that God is faithful and that God is good and that God gives grace for help in time of need and that he will never abandon them. He will always be with them. And one day he will bring them to the promised land. And it all parallels to us that he will never abandon us. 
He will always be with us, and he will one day bring us home to our promised land. And we've, we've read a lot of amazing stories in this book up to this point. God's deliverer appears in Moses. God's plagues appear, uh, ten plagues that, that are just ravaging the, the country of Egypt. God's judgment appears. God's deliverance appears. God's power appears. God's provision appears. And finally... As we get into this Ten Commandments, God himself appears as he speaks to Israel. He appears in his word through the Ten Commandments, a a shadow of what he will do when the word becomes flesh and appears among us. But for now, God speaks his word to his covenant people out of his love to protect them, to provide for them to give them all that they will need to obey him and follow him and glorify him. His his desire is to love his people. And these 10 commandments or these 10 words are grounded, they're rooted in God's love for his people. And there's there's ways we can look at this. We could look at these as, as legalistic laws that we have to follow, or we can look at them as gospel, which is exactly what is behind every one of these commandments. As, as most Christians, if you ask most Christians to describe the difference between the Old and New Testaments, I think you will hear things like law versus grace, or law versus gospel, or judgment versus mercy, or rules versus freedom. Thankfully, the book of Exodus dismantles that misguided view, and, and it gives us a story, it gives us story after story of God's gospel grace revealed in the many ways that he cares for these people and the prominent ways we see God's grace on display in the life of Israel and particularly in these 10 commandments. In the first, in the first three commandments, And we've studied the first two. This morning is the third one. In in the first two commandments, and you'll see in the third, there's a a negative and a positive perspective to these commandments. In the first commandment, the Lord says, you shall have no other gods before me. That is the negative. You shall have no other gods. This is something you shall not do. That is the negative prohibition not to worship false gods, not to worship idols. The positive is... Say, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, the positive is, I am your God. There are no other gods. And you have a relationship with me. The God of all the universe. The God who creates. The God who makes himself known. That's the positive. In the second commandment, you shall not make for yourselves carved images. The negative is that we are not to worship images of actually God himself. That's what that commandment is about. We don't want to, God doesn't want us to reduce him to something finite and visible and controllable, which will diminish his his glory. The positive in that commandment is that God is jealous for our hearts, never to be captured by anything other than him. Nothing so trivial as an image that captures our heart, but that God alone, the invisible God, captures our hearts. 
Now, the third commandment gives us a serious prohibition to not misuse God's names. And there are three parts to this commandment that we'll walk through this morning. But let me read this again. You shall not, there's that prohibition, there's that negative side. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God. Now, you see that refrain again and again in Exodus. It is God's way of just hammering home the personal, caring, loving, intimate relationship he has with his people. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the first part of this is the importance of this command protecting the name of the Lord, the importance of this command. Why is protecting God's name so important? Why is protecting it so important that he actually includes it as one of the 10 foundational commandments he gives to Israel? Ancient Israel was very familiar with the importance of names. Naming children in the culture was more than just buying a book on baby names and finding one that sounds unique and trendy. That was far more important. This is, that's not how Israel viewed and approached naming their children. The naming of a child carried great importance because the name conveyed something about that child, their family, their family's faith, and their future. Nancy Patricia. Actually, Nancy Patricia Malament. That was the name my parents chose for me. (laughs) Imagine their disappointment when a boy arrived. To my parents' credit, they did not stick with that name. As to the importance of my name, it has no background or purpose. They named me Lawrence, which is a name I have never liked. Um, They named me Lawrence James because as they were ready to leave the hospital, the hospital staff told them that they could not leave until they gave me a name. And so mom and dad just literally picked a name out of thin air, and hence Lawrence Malamut. At least they didn't do Horace, Ralph, or Chester, something like that. Um, That would have been worse. The name of the Lord your God does not simply mean in this passage something to call him by. Rather, it has everything to do that is connected, everything to do with the things that are connected to God's name. The, the Lord in this verse is, is Yahweh. The, the private, Yahweh was the private, special, unique, intimate name that God gave to Israel and Israel alone. Other nations would know God as Elohim. But they would not know him as Yahweh, that, that intimate name, the name that established his covenant love and covenant grace with them. Yahweh is more than a name, a label. It was the very essence of who God is and what he does. It is the only name in all of history that is worthy of glory and honor. It is the only name that is valued above 
all names. It is the only name. I am who I am is the only name that matters. When we are given our names, whether we like them or not, they are names that someone else gave to us. We don't name ourselves. Only God names himself because it's his way of bringing revelation to us of what his name reflects, his, his character and his glory and his authority and his power and his goodness and his worthiness and his mercy and his sovereignty and his supremacy. When we say the name of God, when we say the name Yahweh, when we say Jesus' name, it's all that stands behind that. It is not just a label. There's, there's no nickname for God. I wasn't named Lawrence because it holds some great special meaning. Mom and dad just probably remembered it from a magazine somewhere. And, and one of the things they did tell me, they said that they, LJ sounded like I would be a great business leader and wealthy one day. Oops. And they needed a way to get me out of the hospital. And so that worked. Among his people, God's name was so holy and so sacred that to use Yahweh wrongly was to be stoned to death. That's how serious the name of God was and still is to God's people. To speak his name was to speak of his awesome power and his holiness because Yahweh this name, the Lord, and as you read in your, in your Bible, Lord, L-O-R-D, is all caps, which is behind it, Yahweh. That name is his salvation name. That's how important this passage is. J.A. Mateer said this. He said, the third commandment arises from the self-declaration of God, I am the Lord your God, with which this whole great statement begins. The Lord's name is shorthand for all that is revealed about himself. I am who I am is like an ample container into which the great truths revealed by Moses and through the Exodus have been packed. The Holy One, the God of the covenant, the Redeemer, Deliverer, Judge, the caring God of daily providence, the God of reconciliation who brings his people to himself. Any particular misuse of the divine name would deny or scorn any one of these great fundamentals. Any misuse is a personal insult to him. The third commandment defends the honor of God's name. His name is, is his identity. It represents his entire reputation and his saving work. In Psalm 106, 8, it, the psalmist writes, yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. In Psalm 8, 1, David writes, O Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, Elohim, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David praised God's name not simply because God had a cool name, but because he knew what it stood for and he knew what stood behind 
the name of God. That is the importance of protecting God's name because of what it stands for. Now, the second part to this is the misuse of God's name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So what exactly is taking God's name in vain? Is it just profanity? Is it swearing falsely? Is it things like false prophecy? Is it using his name flippantly? Well, actually, yes, it's all of those things. But those are just surface It goes much deeper than that. It's more than just a what we say issue. To be a Christian, to be an Israelite then and to be a Christian now is to bear the name of God. For us, it's to bear the name of Christ. For them, it's to bear the name of being the people of God. And as image bearers, And as name bears, how we live and and what we think and what we say either honors or dishonors God. And we must be aware that when God's name is spoken, he's present. He hears. Exodus 34, just a few chapters over, when we will study later on. 34, verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And this is, this is how we should be viewing God's name. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God's name Behind that name is the faithful God, the merciful God, the loving God to thousands of generations. But to those who do not take God's name seriously, as we see here, the Lord will not hold him guiltless. To protect his glory, God prohibits the flippant use of or misrepresentation of his name, whether in our speech or in our lifestyle, and even, and even in our worship. This, this is one of the commandments that is most easily and quickly broken today. God's name no longer carries the reverence and fear and sobriety it once did. The irreverent and flippant use of God's name in our culture is so common, even among Christians. And it's because God's name stands for so much more than just pronouncing a title. His name, again, it's his identity, it's his nature, it's his essence and his glory and his goodness and his mercy and his salvation and his judgment and his wrath and his holiness and his love. It's everything. And to to live contrary to God's word is to take his name in vain. So it's not just what we say, but it's how we live. 
You could mark in your notes, if you're taking notes, Amos 2, 6 through 8, just describes what it means to live as though God were not around. And it, it describes that it, it, it takes his name in vain when we don't live according to his word. What we say and how we live reveals what we think and believe about God. The way we use his name reveals how we live and what we think about God. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what does taking his name in vain look like? Well, the first one is pretty easy to discern. Profanity, cursing, swearing. And how often, and when you're in a, in a situation, you're in a public arena, and whether friends or in restaurants or sporting events or whatever, and you hear God's name profane, and, and it makes you cringe, does it not? It just makes you cringe the moment you hear it. And, and you do, you want, to, you want to stand up, you want to defend God, you want to, you want to talk to that person. And rightly so. So profanity is certainly, it's, it's a very obvious one. But there's another one. I define it as exclamation. It's phrases like, oh my God, for God's sake, geez, I swear to God, or good Lord. Or how about, for the technical, OMG. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. These are just polite ways of using his name in vain. Using his name in in this way diminishes his glory and it undermines our witness as believers. Another way we use his name in vain at times is is to advance a personal agenda or desire. Can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard this. I know God wants me to be happy. And so this behavior that I'm doing, even though it doesn't fit with Scripture, I know God wants me to be happy. That's using God's name in vain. Or, or when you're talking to somebody and they just throw out what I call the God card, the, the trump card. God told me. Well, how do you argue with that. I mean, it's hard to say, no, we didn't. <laughs> Although I want to say that at times, that possibly can't be true, but, but using God's name to further an agenda, that is taking his name in vain. It shuts down conversation. It shuts down and misses the care and counsel of our brothers and sisters when we misuse God's name. And that is taking his name in vain. Seeing God's name on a bumper sticker. is a way of taking his name in vain. Many times. 
I would see cars with bumper stickers. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And by their driving, they were definitely not perfect. And I wasn't sure I was ready to forgive them. We see God's name plastered in so many different ways without taking stock of what what is behind that name. The holiness and the glory and the worthiness and the majesty and the perfection that stands behind the name Yahweh, God, Jesus. We, We can miss that. A subtle way we can take his name in vain is our approach to our Sunday gathering. When we arrive here on Sunday, are we anticipating or expecting God's presence? Are we hopeful and attentive to hearing him speak through the songs that we sing when we sing his name or through the word that is preached? Or are, are we just coming to a meeting? Because throughout that meeting, we are lifting up the name of God. And to take his name in vain in the Hebrew literally means to lift up his name, but to lift it up wrongly. And if we lift up his name in vain, just flippantly or casually, we do it in vain. I might step on a toe. Even arriving late, valid reasons aside, can be a sign of viewing God trivially, trivially and taking his name in vain because we're just, well, I'm just going to church. We don't just go to church, brothers and sisters. We go to a place where together with God's people, we meet with God and lift up his name. This gathering in all of our flaws and sins and failings, we are gathered together as the people of God, forgiven and cleansed by Christ. And when we gather together, we are gathering together to lift up his holy name, which makes this place a holy place. And if we come with a casual attitude and we express that casual attitude through showing up on our time schedule rather than when we gather together, that is a way of taking God's name in vain. When we allow, and I know the temptation for this because I face it all the time, when we allow distracting thoughts while we're singing, when we're worshiping, what am I gonna eat for lunch? What's the game I want to watch? What about the nap I want to take? Or what about the trials that I'm just facing and the conflict I just had with my spouse? All while singing God's name. Our lips sing the words, but our hearts can be miles away. Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain 
do they worship me? Brothers and sisters, we do not want to be guilty of that. Using God's name in vain distracts from his, his beauty and his majesty and his glory. And for Christians to misuse his name is to tarnish the witness of his name, the witness that we've been called to. And Exodus, Exodus is all about God making himself known, not only to the people of Israel, but to the world that they would be a blessing. And to use God's name in vain, to take it up in vain, to lift it up in vain, just ruins that witness. It tarnishes that witness. It diminishes the glory of God. And it, it, we don't fulfill our part of the covenant blessing, which is to be a blessing to others. It boils down to this. The misuse of God's name is a direct attack on his honor and glory. And it's why he so seriously condemns that behavior in this command. So we understand the importance of God's name and we understand the misuse of God's name. And now let's talk thirdly about the consequence of using the Lord's name in vain. The consequence of using God's name in, in vain is that when we, when we do so, we're guilty. God does not hold those who use his name in vain guiltless. There's a price to be paid. We're guilty of sinful behavior. Some reasons we take his name in vain. There are lots of reasons we can be tempted to take his name in vain. Whether it's a bad habit. We've just gotten to the habit of, of making a certain phrase. Some, oh my God, we say. Or for, for, you know, we yell at our children. For God's sake, don't do that again. Or, you know, or we are, we're great. You're great. I'm not great at texting. You're great at texting. And, you know, everybody, it's, it's only, there are actually no words in texting. It's just all letters that you're supposed to figure out. Like the first time my kids put LOL, I, I said, lots of laughs. And they laughed at me because that's not what it means. And so I said, well, what does it mean? Then they told me it means laugh out loud, right? Is that what it means? LOL, laugh out loud. Great. Yeah. Uh, and I saw, first time I saw OMG, I thought, oh my goodness. Well, that's not what that means either. And, and we can, we just have it. It's just the way we live and it's quick and easy to do. But there's consequences to that. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's our culture. Our culture shapes us. Whether it's at work or just the neighborhood or movies or whatever. If, if you had a dollar for every time the Lord's name was taken in vain in, in a week... I think you could retire at an early age, which is grievous. It is sad. Or it could be just simply unbelief that we just express. We really have an unbelief towards God. Now, we will find one, if not all, of these factors behind our taking his name in vain. The consequence of doing this will diminish our view of God. That's the concern. It will diminish our view of God. It will diminish our, our, our worship of God. It will diminish our love for God. It will diminish our respect for God. It will diminish our love for God. And it will hinder our intimacy with God. And we know God holds our guilt 
against us. It, it's, it's unbelief that we, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that our, our Christianity is vibrant and genuine when you look at really scary warning passages like Matthew 7, which I will take a moment to read to you. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. That's how serious the consequences are when we take the Lord's name in vain and we don't rightly understand all that is behind the beauty and majesty of God's holy name. It ruins our witness. It makes God look common before a dying world. It mocks and it ridicules and it destroys God's reputation. But we don't have to live this way, brothers and sisters. This, these commandments are given to us by God because he loves us and he is wanting to protect us from the very prohibitions that he's declaring here, that we don't do these things. And it's why he's given us these commandments not legalistic rules that bind us, but truths that free us to live for his honor and for his glory and to one day be able to stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And to stand before him and not hear, depart from me, I never knew you, but to hear, well done, enter into the glory and, and joy of your master. That is what these commandments are for. Because we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the common ways of this world. We don't have to fall back into worldly speech. Now most of us, I think, have done really well at, at putting cursing profanity aside. When we come to faith in Christ, we, we realize that just, that just does not cut it. And, and, and we work hard at things like that. That doesn't mean we still don't struggle with that. I play, I play golf with guys who are believers, and they hit bad shots, I hit bad shots, and they don't say anything, but you wonder what's going on inside their heart. <laughs> Because I know what's going on inside my heart. But we don't have to fall back into worldly speech. We can come to Christ. We can confess our sin because Scripture promises He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the glory of the gospel. The gospel reminds us that Jesus himself faced every temptation, which means he faced this temptation as well. He faced this one as well. And I can imagine he could have easily been tempted to blaspheme God's name on the cross. 
but he didn't. He never misused or took the Lord's name in vain. And because he didn't, he was guiltless. And because he was guiltless, he was able to take our guilt upon himself on the cross so that we could be freed from our guilt. And we can be filled with his spirit so that we can now live with the fruit of the spirit in our lives, one of them being self-control where we can guard our speech and we cannot take the Lord's name in vain. Oh, for the glory of the gospel, we don't have to live like that. So what's our takeaway from this this morning? It's not wrong to use God's name. Actually, Israelites were allowed to use God's name when they took a a proper oath. Now, there was false swearing where they would take an oath but knew they were lying, and that was taking God's name in vain. But they were allowed to use Yahweh when taking an oath because it stood behind the authority of God and that they would fulfill this vow. And if you remember in Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes writes and says that it's better uh, not to make a vow and, and break it Tell me how I'm saying it. Better to not make a vow and break it. Yes, you got it. I'm glad. We studied Ecclesiastes for seven months. You should know it. (laughs) These Ten Commandments are a gift to Israel. They're also a gift to us. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. These Commandments are the deepest expression of God's love for us to protect us from the ruin of sin and the wreckage it causes in our lives. These commandments aren't given to us to drag us into holiness, but to lead us into the blessing of a peaceful and intimate and holy relationship with God. God has given us his personal name to call on him. You get that? God has given his name to call on him. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We call on the name of Christ for salvation. What greater gift is there than that? And as believers, we can call on the name of the Lord for mercy and help in time of need. We can cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. We can cry out to God. God has given his personal name for us to call on him, to know him, and to be known by him. He has revealed all of who he is to us through his name. He's not some hidden false God hiding behind wood or stone, but the living God who has revealed himself to us because he cares deeply for us. And our response simply is, to honor his name in all that we say and all that we do. 
Many of the Psalms show us how to do this, how to honor God's names. And I'll just give you a few. Psalm 29, 2, Psalm 96, 8, Psalm 72, 19, and Psalm 103, 1. Just, just a few. You can go through the Psalms. You just see how God's name is glorified and extolled and how it is, it is just cast out there so that the world would know who our God is. By honoring God's name, we honor him. Colossians 3.17. This is what I want to leave with you. 3.17 sets our course for how to do this. If we want to turn from taking God's name in vain and set the course for how to do this, Colossians 3.17 does this. And whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's it. That'll set the course in word or deed. Everything you do, it'll be a course that honors and glorifies God and and a course that witnesses to the world of the glory and majesty of God. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the, the burden that we carry, but it is not a heavy burden. It's the burden that Jesus himself has given us. The burden we carry is to carry the name of Christ. Do you get that? You carry the name of Christ. You are a Christian. You bear his name. You're an image bearer and you're a name bearer. And when we take his name in vain, we diminish the good and glorious gospel. So, let every word be to the glory of God. And when it's not, which it will happen at times, let's just simply run quickly to Christ confessing our sin, repenting of our sin, and resting in his wonderful and glorious forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you that you have given us your name, that we bear the name of Christ. And Lord, as we bear that name, would you please help us to carry that name in such a manner for your glory, never to diminish your name, but to always lift up your name, that the world might see who you are in all your majesty. Lord, thank you for allowing us to bear your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.